0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer
1: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
3: 2-1 pitch, high fly ball, right center field, over Ford is Jackson and Crisp, Connor Jackson squeezes it, and the 10-game losing streak is over! Ninth inning, 12-5 A's, no balls and two strikes, and the pitch to Michael Young is swung on a fly ball center field, that's going to do it, Coco is under a drifting back, he's there, and he's got it!
0: And here in 2013,
3: the American Leagues Western Division title belongs to the Oakland Athletics. Celebration time at the Coliseum. 2 to pitch. Got him swinging, and that's the ball game. And how about this, folks? The magical season for the Oakland A's will now include October baseball. The A's are in the postseason. For the fourth time in the last seven years. Here's the 2-2 pitch, and it's swung on a miss, and down he goes. A foul tip held by Murphy. The A's have won at 12-6, and for Bob Melvin, he becomes the winningest
4: manager in Oakland A's history. And what a great honor and a fantastic milestone for a great manager and an outstanding human being. He passes Tony La Russa the
3: most in Oakland A's history. Win number 799 for Bo Mel. And he does it in the city where he managed his first major league game for the Seattle Mariners. Here's Chris Townsend.
2: It was a very special night. I, I think no question. You know, everything for this organization changed when Bob Melvin got here. I've said this for years. There was like a cloud over the organization. A lot of things not going right. 2007, they were 76 and 86. 2008, they were 77 and 86. 2009, 75 and 87. 2010, 81 and 81. But that was winning the last four games in Seattle Against a team that was basically a triple A slash double A team. And then they started out in 2011 thinking, well, you know, you finished 500 last year. Is this team growing? And they were miserable. The team finished out 74 and 88. I knew about Bob Melvin, I'd watched him. But I remember when he showed up. And things just started to be different. There looked to be like there was a leader. There was a guy that the players really respected. There was a guy that the players listened to. And I remember some of my first conversations with him, I went, this guy's different. And then he would talk to you privately and, you know, he he actually listens to the post-game show and, and, you know, said some things that made me realize, yeah, he does listen to the post-game show. And over the years, I've gotten to know Bob real well. Been doing a Bob Melvin show with him for a long time. Just look at the dramatic difference of winning in your 70s, winning in the 70s. By the time 2012 hit, Bob Melvin had led the A's to 94 and 68, 96 and 66, 88 and 74. You have a blip for three years 15, 16, 17, and then you're right back at it. 97 and 65, 97 and 65. Last year, 36 and 24, which was on pace for 97 wins again. And this year, right now, at 32 and 25. The amount of winning he has done in a short time here with the A's has been incredible. And what Bob Melvin has taught everybody, analytics are great. Data's great. You know, Moneyball, the book, the movie, they were great. but to truly win and to grow and to go on runs there has to be an adult in the room there has to be a guy that leads the ship leads the clubhouse a guy that every player whether you love him or not most people do love him but whether they love him or not they got to respect him You know you're in a you're in a game today where guys are getting moved around, guys are getting pitch hit for. They're looking at data, saying, "Hey, listen, we're taking you out of the game. We're taking at bats away from you. We're 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 only giving you so many innings." Baseball has changed a lot, and Bob Melvin has been able to communicate with the players and truly tell them, "I'm putting you." In the best-case scenario, for you to make money. That's one thing players have always respected, is that Bob is about their careers. Because Bob knows, I don't know how long you're going to be in Oakland. But what I'm going to do is, I'm going to put you in a position that's going to help you make more money, whether it's here somewhere else. And I'm going to keep you out of positions that you're not good at. And players respect that. He gets to know these young men, which this team, not so young. He gets to know them personally. And now you think, well, doesn't every manager do that? I guess not. Certain managers care about their players than than, than other managers. And Bob has been a godsend. Bob has been a godsend for you, the fan base. He cares about you. How many managers really care about the fan base? Bob always talks about he wants to win so bad when there's a big crowd. He wants to reward the big crowd. He wears number six for Sal Bando. Bob Melvin has been the perfect fit. And I remember... I don't know if it was on A's cast or I was on 95-7 the game when this happened. We were talking about, you know, the greatness of A's managers. And what was the first thing? Bob Melvin hasn't won a World Series. So, all of a sudden, it's, well, Tony LaRusso has won a World Series. He's been to three World Series. Dick Williams won two World Series. And that's fact. And... You can't take it away from those guys. But when I look at who's done the best job, it was very easy to look at what Tony La Russa had. Three MVPs, two Cy Young Awards, three Rookie of the Years, the highest payroll in baseball, or always a top five payroll in baseball. Yes, your Oakland Athletics used to be a top five payroll team. Bob Melvin's never had any of that. Look at the team Dick Williams had. This team had been together for years. You got Reggie Jackson. You got Sal Bando. You got Catfish Hunter. You got Vita Blue, Ken Holtzman, Raleigh Fingers. I mean, all around the diamond, you got Gene Tennis. Ended up getting my man Ray Fossey, Bert Campanaris, Dick Green, on and on and on. The talent that were on the teams in the 70s and the talent that Tony LaRussa had, Ricky, Canseco, McGuire, Hindu, Carney. I mean, come on. Eckersley, Stu, Welch, Mike Moore. I mean, the, the Italian. Yeah, yeah, he would have won. I'm not trying to take anything away. Bob Melvin's had none of that. I mean, you look at the patchwork and the amount of guys he runs through throughout a year, the guys that he's lost, the guys that were on his best teams that he lost. And Bob never makes an excuse. You never hear him say, Well, you know, this guy's gone, that guy's gone, this you've never heard that. He just says, Give me what give me what you got, and I'll make it happen. And if we don't make it happen, we're gonna prepare them to make it happen in the future. You know, some years are a teaching moment. I mean, the odds of you winning every single year pretty slim to none. And in those years where you're gonna be bad. There's going to be a lot of player movement. You're going to have a lot of young guys come up, and you got to teach them up and get them ready to play Oakland A's baseball and win. And that's all Bob Melvin has done. I I, I am so happy for him. Think about that. Your interim manager is now your your all-time winningest manager in Oakland A's history. And, oh, yeah, he grew up an A's fan. Pretty darn special. Cody, I can't tell you how happy I am for Bob Melvin.
4: Uh, it's incredible the amount of success that Bob's had here. And I saw a note that, you know, he's since he took over in his first year full time on a full time basis in 2012, the A's been in the postseason six times. That's how with the Yankees, and Cardinals are the second most in baseball. Only the Dodgers have been there more. And that was eight times that they've been there since 2012. That's pretty staggering. Now, if Bob wants to get greedy and he wants to catch Connie Mack, he only needs two thousand seven hundred eighty-three more wins to catch Connie Mack to become the franchise leader and career wins. I don't think Bob's going to get there. I think he needs to manage till he's like one hundred and thirty years old or something like that. I
2: think he can do it. I mean, hey,
4: more power to him if he wants to, if he wants to keep going uh, to get there. That's a that's a long way to go. Uh, Connie Mack managed a long time. Uh, I have his numbers up in front of me. He managed the uh, Philadelphia A's for. 50 years, so good luck. Uh, remember, he managed three years of the Pittsburgh Pirates before he took over the Philadelphia A's. So it just shows his success. And every, every time we talk to someone, current player or former player, they've all said the same thing about Bob. He's a great communicator. He cares about his players. Um, and we know how great of a person Bob is just from the weekly conversations we have with him. Um, it was a great experience. How, it was so great to see him win his 799th game and where he in Seattle where he had his first managerial experience after being on Bob Brenly's staff in Arizona. So to see that happen last night, to see the A's finally get the offense going, something we haven't talked about, they finally got the offense going a little bit after Bob Melvin motivated the team in the fifth inning. It was pretty cool to see the the A's get it going for Bob Melvin's 799th win last night in Seattle.
2: All right, coming up next, Melissa Lockhart, then we'll have Ray Fossey at 430, Casey Stern, host of Inside Pitch on MLB Network Radio, and then Johnny Gomes, former former A at 530. That's all coming up next right here on A's Cast. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
0: Bob is like a, another father figure to me. He managed me for six years. I, I spent more time with him than
3: any manager,
0: any coach. So, you know, he he's one of the best. He I think he is the best in the game, in those guys know, they have someone special who cares about them.
2: Marcus Simeon, when the Blue Jays were in town here on Ace Cast Live, talking about Bob Melvin. Obviously a special relationship. And day two of that series, Bob and Marcus, you know, once all the, the hoopla and Marcus is back and everybody gets to see him, you know, once that all goes away, Marcus and Bob met behind the batting cage and talked for God, probably about a, about a half hour. I mean, They're very close. Two cow hot, two cow guys, more cow honks. Are you calling Melissa? Uh,
4: Melissa's going to call us. Uh, by, by the way, Marcus Simeon, AL Player of the Month for the month of May. What'd he ever do? Yeah, he had a nice little month. Uh, AL reliever of the month, Liam Hendricks. What'd he ever do? a yeah, nice little month. Uh, the White Sox play, play pretty well, although the Indians are playing pretty well in the AL Central. That race could be, uh, the Indians just get rid of Lindor, and here they are playing well catching up with the uh, White Sox.
2: Melissa, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Thanks so much for having me. What would you think last night when Bob Melvin got the record?
5: Uh, that was pretty cool. I think he's as deserving as anybody for a record like that. I think he's meant as much uh, to the Oakland A's as anybody they've had in the last probably since they came to Oakland. So uh, I think it's only fitting that he gets to be, you know, the guy in the Oakland era in terms of wins as a manager.
2: You know, I think about you following these players throughout their careers from the minor leagues, all the way up to the big leagues. And uh, Matt Chapman right now, 73 strikeouts on the season. He is just being challenged with fastballs and some not the best fastballs in the world, and he can't make contact, and his batting average has dropped to 198. What are you seeing?
5: You know, it looks like a timing issue, and um, it, it maybe it could be, you know, the fact that he had that surgery last year. I think uh, I remember, you know, Buster Posey's timing was kind of off um, quite a bit the year after he had that same surgery. And so much of what Matt Chapman's swing does, you know, has to do with his lower half and being able to kind of get himself on time. And if his hips not feeling exactly how he would want it to at this point, or if he's still getting used to how it would feel post-surgery, you know, that could really affect his timing. You know, he has always kind of been strikeout prone a little bit. And there were times um, in the minor leagues that he would have these sort of little mini stretches of of huge strikeouts um, and then he would recover Uh, And I I think he's also sort of always been a second half player too. So I I don't know that I would panic yet, but uh, obviously um, it's got to be frustrating for him right now.
2: You know, doing a minor league report every single day on the broadcast, uh, it was so surprising on Memorial day. I know, I I know all the different levels other than triple a are taking the day off. And of course, triple a played Sacramento on Memorial day, but, I, I just thought, wow, minor leagues—you're not going to play on Memorial Day, even. I mean, I, I just don't get it.
5: You know the way they've got it structured this year, teams are—you know—they they move on to the next series, so uh, there really wouldn't be a way for them to uh, kind of throw a Monday game in there uh, at that point. I mean, they sort of built it into the schedule. I think part of it may be for the you know COVID protocols, and it allows for a little bit less um, disorganized travel as you sometimes get in the minor leagues. But I do have to say, I've talked to a number of people and um, the idea of having a particular day off once a week for the players and the coaches and even the guys that have to arrange all the travel uh, has made a huge difference. Um, And I think it is something that that they will keep. And it's something that actually has existed in the minor leagues before. I think the Cal League back in the 80s um, had a Monday off every uh, every week. And um, so that sort of sense of you know, off days coming, I think is really rewarding for these players. Um, it's also been really interesting to see just teams match up for six straight days. You know, that that's a very different feel, gives it sort of like a, a World Series kind of feel in terms of by the time you get to that fourth or fifth game, everybody on each team knows the other guy really well. So a lot of really kind of quirky, interesting stuff happening in the minor leagues this year.
2: I got to think knowing that that, you know, because right now we're in the midst of this will be our 39th game in 41 days. Right. We haven't had a right. lot of days off. But I think like every Monday, you know, because there's things you got to do in life. Right. You might have to go to like I had to. I had to go to the DMV. You know, there's certain things you get bills you got to take care of. It kind of gives you a little bit more structure, wouldn't you say, in, in a season that normally has zero structure?
5: absolutely and and it also just gives your body a sense of you know there's a break coming I think it's kind of like you know you you think about like a workout and if you know that there's going to be a little bit of a break after 20 minutes um, your body can kind of push through that 15 to 20 minute range of the workout you know Um, so or at least for me anyway but um, you know I think I think it really does help mentally these guys get through which is a really tough grind I mean the minor league season as much as a grind as the major league season is the minor league season is even more so just because obviously the accommodations and the hotels and everything else that, that they're staying at, or even when they're staying at home are not nearly the same as what you get at the major leagues. So given these guys as much of a break as they can, I think it's really been helpful.
2: Luis Pereira came up real quick, got to see him, obviously very athletic, uh, really didn't get to see much of him offensively. Uh, I know he's swinging it down in Vegas. He's a high contact guy. Just what you've seen as he has grown, what kind of player is he and who would you compare him to?
5: You know, he's a really – he's kind of a throwback. He reminds me of some of those guys that you maybe would have seen in um, like the St. Louis Cardinals back in the turf days. Um, line drive hitter, really handles the bat well. He can lay down a really nice bunt. He does have some power, but he's not looking to necessarily drive it over the fence um, at every swing, unlike you know, the majority of hitters that are out there now. Uh, he can use the whole field. Um, defensively his arm is one of the strongest of any of the outfielders they have in their system. So he's a real weapon that way, kind of, you know, the way that Laureano was able to sort of sneak up on runners. I think when, when Louise has a chance to be playing every day, there's going to be a period where runners think they can take an extra base on him, and he's going to nail quite a few of them before they figure it out. So, uh, and I think, you know, summer 2019, he was definitely their fastest first to third runner. Um, and, you know, that doesn't actually show up on, on, that sheets or box scores, but you've got a guy that is just a really excellent base runner, which I think is something that, you know, the eight haven't always had, but I think he could add at some point.
2: Do you think he's here long-term or is he potential trade bait coming up here to bring some more pitching to this team in 2021?
5: Well, you know, having covered this team long enough, I'd say everybody is potential trade bait. So I, I would never say that somebody <laughs> isn't. And, um, and certainly if they're going to trade uh, people, I think, their outfield depth, especially in the upper levels, is pretty deep. I mean, obviously, Sky Bolt's up there right now. Uh, Greg, uh, Diekman, Greg Dykman, sorry, is, is having a really nice season there, um, and I think is really turning into this sort of middle-of-the-order um, force that they really thought he, he could be when he was coming out of LSU. Um, and, you know, and then you go down a little bit further, they've got guys like Brian Welvis and others that I, you know are going to be projected as really good players moving forward. So, um, you know, I think outfield is an area of depth, and, and certainly if you're going to deal from depth, uh, you know, Barrera might be a guy that teams are going to be interested in, but I don't think they'd be looking to deal him unless they were going to get back pr- probably somebody that they would use for more than just one season.
2: Wellvis has been showing up in my minor league report a lot.
5: Yeah, he's a, he's, I mean, when you talk to people at the uh, alternate site last year, I mean, besides Tyler Soderstrom, I mean, he was the guy that they were really excited about on the younger end of the guys that were there. I mean, 18 years old, playing low A, um, very mature for that age, uh, still not physically as strong as I think he will be eventually, but, you know, the potential to be kind of a real, uh, I don't know if he'll have like the huge power, but sort of touch all five tools. Um and uh, just a very exciting talent. And, you know, he's, he's hanging in there as a very young player. Um, and now he's playing in this Olympic qualifying tournament as well, along with uh, Jordan Diaz on that Team Columbia. So a couple of really good young players from Colombia
2: that they have in their system now. So how many, because I know Nick Allen, how many guys are in the A's system that are, are trying to qualify for the Olympics?
5: Well, there's uh, Nick Allen with Team USA. There's Carlos Perez, the, the catcher, who's with Team Venezuela. And then the two with uh, Team Columbia, I, I, believe that, I believe that's it right now. But um, that's a, a pretty good chunk, actually, when you consider that you only have the four levels right now.
2: Well, I mean, what an experience that would be, too. I mean, and Tokyo, as we know, uh, having gone there a few times, is, is phenomenal. But I, the athletes probably won't be able to get in, to see anything. They'll all be in a bubble. But still, to represent your country, what an experience. And and, and let's end on this, on Tyler Solderstrom. I mean – This kid, you know, I I, I played against his dad at Fresno State. Obviously, his dad was the number one pick by the Giants out of Fresno. And he he has the baseball school down there. So this kid's light years ahead of his age. And he's already gotten out to a good start. You know, I got to think, you know, if he continues to hit and they talk about how strong he is as a catcher, at calling games, you could move them out behind the plate and have him play somewhere else. Do you think he's a fast track kid?
5: Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on what they want in terms of where he'll play defensively. I think his bat will move quickly. Uh, if that's what they think they need to rush up to the big leagues. But I was actually talking to somebody today that said that he's really made some uh, significant strides defensively. You know, his glove was well behind his bat. Um, coming into to pro ball, but even just in the last week or two has really improved his uh, defensive skills, his game calling, his, his uh, throwing and, and mechanics and stuff. And they're working a lot with him um, on improving behind the plate. So I don't think it's something they're necessarily looking to have him move off of quickly. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's athletic, he's played third base, he's played first base. Um in, in high school, I'm sure he could play left or right field if they needed him to. So I feel like it'd be fairly easy to move him off of that if they suddenly needed his back quicker than his glove was going to develop behind the plate. But I think at the moment, they're, they're really looking to develop him as a catcher.
2: Well, you know we love the athletic, and it's just great journalism. Uh, but i got to ask you this on the way out. Are we going to have a, a a certification on what the ball actually is? It seems like one <laughs> the ball is different the next minute the ball's the same when when, when are we going to know exactly what kind of ball we're playing with
5: yeah I think I think Rob Manfred's probably the better person to ask that question but it is crazy and I I think it's it's really hard I mean uh, you know you look at like David Forrest I mean how do you build a team not knowing how the ball's going to play and you know or from a pitcher's perspective if pitchers are going to be using illegal substances, how do you build a, you know, a lineup not knowing what the kind of spin rates you're going to see from pitchers that you kind of expected a different spin rate from? So um, I think it's made it harder for uh, front offices. And I imagine if it's making it harder for front offices, eventually Major League Baseball will have to do something about both of those things to sort of stabilize what we're seeing out there because you can't have this variation every year or, you know, how does anybody ever build a team? So um, a lot of stuff I think has got to happen. And uh, if I could fix it or if, if you know, Saris or somebody from the athletic could fix it, I think we would in a second, but uh, we'll keep uh, chipping at the information as we get it.
2: Thank you so much. I always appreciate it. We'll be reading you on the athletic.
5: Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it.
2: Melissa Lockhart right here on A's Cast Live. Coming up next, Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise.
3: Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball.
2: Cody, will you play the man's open, please?
3: Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey.
2: Ray, Bob Melvin might be uh, giving you a run for your money now for the face of the franchise.
3: He's got it, buddy. How you doing, Sonny?
2: I'm doing great. How are you? Good afternoon.
3: Hey, you know what? I just heard from our man, Delero Lourdes, saying you got three million downloads on AceCast.
2: Three. Yeah, we're, we we found out today we, we have three million now. And to think that where we started this from scratch.
3: Congratulations.
2: So quickly to be at three million, you know, if it wasn't for Cody, I, I don't know how we would have got there.
3: Well, congratulations to both of you because you guys make up an outstanding team and uh, listen on the same day after the skipper becomes the winningest manager in Oakland A's history and you guys announced 3 million. I mean, that's tremendous. So congratulations to all of you. Great job.
2: Cody's Bob Melvin and I'm Mark Kotze.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Everybody's talking glowingly about the skipper, Bob Melvin. But the, the one guy that stands out, I was thinking as, as I was listening to you, that Ryan Christensen, you know, typically a coach, beca- well, he's a bench coach because he wants to be a manager. And I remember asking Ryan Christensen, I said, Rhino, you know, excellent player when he played, coaching, managing, mileage. He said, you know what? I'm happy exactly where I am because I'm learning so much from the best manager in baseball and Bob Melvin. I mean, you're talking about an endorsement. I mean, a guy is willing to be a bench coach and learn from a manager versus going out and soon as a manager job. I mean, sure. He's going to interview, but the bottom line, he enjoys being right where he is. And I think that's, that's admirable for the skipper. I mean, he is, you know, they, they talk about player managers Tony, and I, I think what a manager in today's world of the social media has to do, and um, I heard that you're off of one particular site, which um, doesn't matter, but, um, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I think in the world of social media, every player knows everything. I mean, just like our games on television are archived to where I can go back on, say, April the 5th, and punch in, you know, archive and watch that game as if it just happened today. So, you know, all the things that are said and all the things that are done and on social media, you know, it comes out. So let's say a manager throws a player under the bus. You think he's not going to know about it the next day? You know, friends are going to call, hey, you know, look what the manager said. So I, I think it's more of building up a player. And I think Matt Chapman's a perfect example. Who knows? I mean, he's going to come out of it. But, you know, Bob Melvin talks about the hip surgery. He talks about losing time. I know from from playing after collision, although I didn't have surgery, I kind of wish I would have. But, you know, you develop that. I wouldn't say necessarily bad habits, but you develop different habits. And in some cases, they are bad to where you do not come back from them. So maybe the fact that what Chapman's doing is working through some of the things that have caused him to change things, that's the hip. And. You know, I, I still remember last year looking down from our booth and seeing uh, uh, Chappie talking to Brian Schulman, one of the A's uh, uh, trainers. And next thing you know, he's on the IL. Next thing you know, he's having hip surgery. So, you know, it, it evidently and obviously was affecting him then because I think he struck out five times in one game. And that's just not him, you know. But, um, but I think back to the whole thing about a manager, you, you have to build up the confidence. And I think listening to you earlier, What you said about the skipper is important because as a manager, you want to put players in a position to be successful. And I think that's what Bob Melvin does better than anybody. And I think what he's proven that maybe some things are talked about prior to a game, but I think Bob Melvin, you watch him during a game, that's his game. That's his game. And, you know, maybe he's instructed or maybe somebody said, well, so-and-so comes in, you know, pinch it for this guy. And, you know, I remember when Josh Reddick was here. Josh Reddick was an outstanding right fielder. And Bob Melvin, when a lefty would come in, would not pinch hit for him. And there were times that I'm sure he got yelled at. But what Bob was saying, we have a lead. Why take out the best defensive right fielder for a subpar outfielder just because it's a different pitcher throwing and he may or may not get a hit? Pinch hitting is horrible. It's the hardest thing to do in baseball. You look at the numbers, you may have some home runs, but it's, you know, you're not going up to get singles as a pinch hitter. So, all that combined about the manager, I think he's the best in baseball. I think he, he deserves exactly what he accomplished last night. And, you know, coincidentally, evidently, there were some things said by the manager that is really uncharacteristic. That what Tony Kim said it last night, that all of a sudden he's walking the dugout and he hears this hears yelling. And it's the manager. And, you know, everybody going, well, he's never done that. No, he hasn't, because typically when he does it, it's behind closed doors. But I think it was so much frustration the way that game was going last night. Something had to be said. He said it. And look, and all of a sudden, the A's respond with uh, tremendous bats, and they get double figures in runs and hits, and everything is great.
2: Yeah, we've been so lucky to have him, Ray. And he's had so many curveballs thrown his way. There's so many things behind the scenes that we don't know that a Dick Williams or a Tony Larusa didn't have to deal with. I mean, the player movement. I mean, you you think about your guys' teams in the seventies. I mean, (laughs) you can write out the lineup card. You're going to have captain Sal third. You're going to have campy at short. You're going to have green at second. I mean, on and on Reggie. I mean, you and Gene tennis and Joe Rudy, and you know who the starters are. Bullpen, barely, you know, you barely don't even have a bullpen. And you got a Hall of Famer in Raleigh. I mean, you guys were stacked. Bob's never had anything like that.
3: No, and really fast forward to Tony Narusa, and I know that you, you talked about the, the teams Tony had. And I remember in 86 when Tony joined as the manager. He, he signed on as manager. I remember sitting in the Fenway Park, Boston, in a dugout. He named Dave Stewart. Now, think about that. You take over a club. And you have a perennial 20 game winner as your starting pitcher. And Dave Stewart was the opening day starter. Dave Stewart won 20 games consecutively for what, four or five years. And, and then you got Bob Welsh and Storm Davis and uh, Mike Moore, and you got the bullpen and finish it off with Eckersley. And then, oh, by the way, you got three consecutive rookies of the years in 86, 87, 88. You got most valuable players. You have a, a relief pitcher who is so great. He wins a Cy Young and MVP. Bob Elvin's never had that. He's never had that because each year the turnover is such that I, I don't think, but it's got to be hard. And, and I think that's one of the reasons the A's at the beginning of the season has a difficult time having success simply because there's such a turnover. But in the 70s, first of all, there's no free agency until 76. And then fast forward to Tony's group, Why you're not going to trade any of those guys. Yeah, you traded Canseco when he finally said, he said, why do we have to play in October every year? Why can't we just go home like everybody else? Well, so Sandy traded him to the Texas Rangers, so he got to go home at the end of the regular season. So, you know, you you, you spout off, and that's what's going to happen. But but by and large, he had the team that he knew that when they went to spring training, uh, matter of fact, that probably – In both the 70s and the late 80s, it was not a particularly great club to be a spring training invite with a chance to make the club because there's not that many chances to make a club with those teams that were put on the field on a daily basis. So, you know, again, Bob Melvin has not had that, yet he is now the winningest manager in Oakland A's history. I couldn't be happier for him just because. You know, and, and by the way, I, I, you said something about Dick Williams. Yeah, he fought. He fought for us. He, he did behind the scenes. We didn't know it. But until before game three of the Mets World Series, he said, I'm done. I've had it up to here. And we go, what? Couldn't believe it. But see, that, that was what was happening behind the scenes that we did not know. But Dick Williams would go to bat for us with Charles O'Finley. And, and I think that's what made him such a respected manager from our standpoint. And, you know, I don't know that Tony had to deal with that simply because the Haas family pretty much said, hey, Tony, you it's your club, do whatever you want to do. And, you know, you, you had uh, like Sandy Alderson was an attorney, the Marine became an attorney and then the general manager, president, all those kind of things. But, you know, he started at the time when Tony was manager. So essentially they were looking at Tony La Russa as a leader. So basically whatever Tony said, that was it. But I, I don't know that that has happened so much now uh, with Bob Melvin and the way analytics and the way everything goes on in the front office. That, um, that That's why, again, I just think Bob Melvin is the best I've seen in my career simply because of everything he's had to go through.
2: See, this is why you're the face of the franchise. That whole answer right there explains it. You played with the teams in the 70s. You broadcasted in the 80s, the 90s the 2000 you've seen it all you've seen <laughs> all of this you're the only guy
3: well Tony and I get to be on with you every Wednesday and that and every day actually so that 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 just you know completes the circle so yeah I'm, I'm very appreciative of that so uh, but yeah it's, uh, it, it's it's been something that I've uh, been able to do very pleased very proud and you know what I, I give my wife Carol a lot of credit because it was back in what 83 84. Uh, she was the one that said, you know, cause I was out of baseball and, and just kind of wondering what I was going to do. And she said something about a speaker's bureau. Next thing I you know, I get invited to go to a function with the Haas family and, uh, um, and, and, and speak. I actually up at Bedesto at a rain dot golf tournament. And next thing I you know, I'm, I'm in the speaker's bureau. I'm a director of sales, director of PR started broadcasting in 86. And here we are in 2021. And I, I still and able to do this. And, and, Luckiest man on the face of the earth. Thank you, Mr. Lou Gehrig. Well Which, me... by the way, is today Today is his day. How about that? Yeah, Lou the Geary Iron Orcs,
2: the fra- Can you imagine yeah. after all these years, we're, finer, we're finally honoring this guy. Truly one of the greatest players of all time and, and just tragic the way he passed.
3: And you know, Tony, you said that and, and I agree, but he was such a humble person by comparison. Glenn and I were talking last night. About Babe Ruth, and I said, and then there's Lou Gehrig, just the polar opposite. You know, you see some of the movies where, you know, Babe was doing all of his things, and and all Lou Gehrig did was play first base and and hit home runs. And uh, so, but but I think that's kind of the, the humble person that he was. And I, I heard a um, a soundbite actually, like a, a one minute uh, on on the ALS today, and Cal Ripken Jr. of course. Uh, became the Iron Man a record that will stand probably forever I can never I can't believe it would ever be broken um, 2632 you think about that Tony even oh. think about 2130 much less 2632 but uh, but I, I, that was good and I'm gl- I'm glad that Lou Gary's being honored and I'm also glad that Steven Piscotti is the first recipient for the athletics to I uh, actually to win uh, or to be able to accept the Lou Gehrig award because of his involvement with his dad, Mike, after the, his mother and, and Mike's uh, wife, Gretchen passed away a couple of years ago. So uh, a great success story for the Scotty family. It's unfortunate they lost their mother and wife too soon, but uh, they've carried forward. And I, I think, you know, Mike Scotty the other day uh, came up to the booth while the game was going on. And he, uh, you know, last year, because of the COVID, there was a, um, Uh, a virtual I I know I was on talking about Catfish Hunter, who also, unfortunately, uh, passed away with ALS. Uh, Hard to believe it's 1999 when he passed away. And here we are in 2021. But uh, uh, Mike had some wine made up by one of his vineyards that he's been doing some work with. And it's simply it has a picture of Lou Gehrig on the label. And it simply says Lou and I was fortunate to get one of those bottles. And I don't know that I'll ever open it because it would be so special. Uh, but, you know, that that is just the, the Iron Horse, the way he was. And uh, again, so humble in, in everything that he did. And I'm glad they're finally honoring him today.
2: You know, Ray, when you look at, at Matt Chapman and you see the 73 strikeouts, you see the 198 batting average, you know, the one at bat last night, you know, versus a lefty. Fastballs around 91 92, three straight fastballs right down the middle. He didn't come close to making contact on on any of three. It was one, two, three, heading back to the dugout. I mean, when you see that, what
3: do you think it is? You know, Connie, I think, I think, and, and I think, I think it was last night maybe or, or Monday. Uh, we had a shot in between innings of, um, I think it was on Monday when Zamora came in and, you know, they have all those charts in the back of the, of the dugout. And it says what the pitcher throws, the percentage of it throws. And I said, they're looking at Zamora, the left-hander coming out of the Mariners bullpen. He throws about 35% fastball as the rest sliders. And so, you know, at least you go to the plate, you have an idea, but Tony, I think there's so much information that is given to these players now that sometimes instead of just going to the plate and saying, I have a clean slate, I don't know, I know what this guy, well, who cares what he throws? I know he throws a fastball, and that's what I'm going to look for, and I'm going to make an adjustment off a fastball. And I think most hitters will do that, and I think successful hitters do that. But if you put so much information in your brain, in your mind, when you go to the plate, how many times have we talked about seeing guys take two-strike fastballs down the middle of the plate and walk back to the dugout? Like, let's so say on a 3-2 two or 2-2, two two, taking a fastball, you get two strikes and you put that backwards K. And I'm going, what are you doing? What what can you be looking for with two strikes that's going to cause you to strike out without swinging the bat? And I think that's because there's so much information given up. You know, I, I, I may have mentioned this before, but, it reminds me of a player at the A's had recently that he said, I want to know if the pitch is going to throw the curveball 38% of the time on the first pitch. And I always think about it. I said, what are you going to do the other 62 and a half, or 62% when he doesn't throw it? Because, you know, just because the percentage is there doesn't mean he's going to throw it to you. So what are you going to do? Take a fastball down the middle of the play because you may be thinking it's going to be a curveball and you're going to be waiting for it. See, I, I, just, I just think there's too much information, Tony, and I'll be honest with you, I think when I played and my guys in my era, it was, it was incumbent on me as a catcher to know how the opposing hitters hit. I would watch their feet. I would watch, you know, you watch their feet. He'll tell you what he's going to be looking for. And then I knew the pitcher's strengths, and that's how I would call again. I didn't have anything on my wristband to tell me what to do. How about all this now, where they're taking their caps off and looking at a, a, a laminated sheet of paper and going one six three or whatever, you know, with, with, with the numbers? And I'm going, what, what is all this? It's called a cross up. Is what it's going to happen because if you can't walk sixty feet and confirm what signs you're using, it's going to be a cross up. That's going to cost somebody a game when there's a run at third base. So, uh, bottom line, counting too much information. Our grandson Matthew who uh, was in the back of the car, and Carol and I were talking, and he goes, hey, Nani, Big Papa, TMI. I went, what? TMI, too much information. And, you know, so, you know here, at the time, Matthew was 10. So it, what does that tell you? You know, you, you just clear your brain of all this stuff. And I think in the case of Matt Chapman, if he just walked to the plate and said, throw me that fastball, I'm going to be ready to hit it. I'm not going to be in between. A slider, changeup, curveball, and a fastball. I'm going to be dead set on that fastball. You throw me something else, I'm going to be sitting fastball. I'll make an adjustment if I get two strikes. But until then, you throw me that fastball. I'm going to be ready.
2: I love in the broadcast last night where you, so the pitcher holds up three different numbers. <laughs> you and Glenn see it completely different, and Glenn was like. You know, if I was pitching to you, this would be a total cross-up.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, 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 and you know what? You talk about the pace of the game. Do you know that the length of games are longer with all these changes oh. than before? Yeah. I Trust I me. Mean, it's, everybody it's, knows. It's me. <laughs> yeah, I know you know. But, you know, you just think about a pitcher on the mound looking at and getting a sign. Instead, pitcher steps off. He pulls, and, and some of these pants are so tight they can't get the laminated sheet of paper out of the back pocket, and, and some have in their cap. So they step off the rubber, they look, and they look at the catcher. The catcher's looking at his wristband or looking at some laminated. All this is time. All this is pace of game, which you're not getting action. And so all these things they're trying to do to speed up the game and have a better pace the game, it's counterproductive. And you, you know what? You've heard me say this before, Tony. As a catcher, your job is to watch a runner at second base. And you know what? I can encourage fans to watch the runner at second base. They may be talking to the second baseman at shortstop. They're looking around to see the outfielder where they are. They're not looking into a catcher to see what sign he's given. Now, if they've taken away the camera and center field because of the Astros fiasco, then there shouldn't be a problem unless the runner at second base is legitimately relaying what the catcher's doing and if that's the case then it's on the catcher to make sure he does not give one sign and and you know type said all the other day about um, chris bassett the pace of game man man fast fast and i look back at his game that he pitched he had two runners at second base all night so yeah he's using one sign that's all and so you shake off you go to another sign. but with the runner at second base you have to use multiple signs because if you go to one sign obviously the runner at second base is going to say, Oh, Oh, here comes the fastball. So, you know, you, you can relay that to a hitter very quickly.
2: Yeah. I, I'm with you. And I know you've talked about it on the broadcast. I'm really curious. What, what, what's on these laminated, uh, what what's on the laminated sheets that the catcher has the pitcher has like, like what is it?
3: The, the only thing that I could think of County is that with the? it only happens with a runner at second base. And then basically what they're doing is saying, "Okay, runner at second base, what series of signs are we going to use?" And that's all it is. So it must be on that laminated sheet of paper where it's saying runner at second base and the, the I, I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's got it's a, it's got to be runner at second base and as far as a sequence of signs because it's catcher-pitcher, and catcher has it on his left wrist where he might, you know, have a, what to call in certain situations. But uh, that's the only thing I can think of. I'm, I'm gonna try to reach Scott Emerson and, and find out, but I have a feeling that's exactly what it is because I know the manager doesn't call pitches or the bench coach doesn't, any, any signs he's given, it's with a runner on base and maybe a pitch out because they have all the statistics, who's runs and who doesn't. And, uh, you know, it goes back to Tony, rus Russa, 1987 you know he said to Terry Steinbach I'll take the pressure off you of you I'll, I'll make all these calls myself and so everything's copycat in baseball anyway just like the the wristband the quarterback sheet that they were used and all of a sudden uh, David Ross started using it at Chicago Cubs and uh, then everybody else started using it I I don't, I don't know it's just uh, but but I think going back to bottom line towning if you have so much information in your mind, you know, you don't know what's going on. And, and I think some of the, the guys who are the less intelligent, I don't know how you want to say that without offending somebody, but, but you know, if, if they just say, see ball, hit ball. I, don't tell me what he throws or how many times he throws at this time. Just let me go up and swing the bat. And I think those are the guys that have the success. And uh, I know it happened to me um, uh, my, my first second year I finally just said forget it I, I don't care what he's going to do I know he's going to throw me a fastball and I'm not going to miss it and I didn't <laughs>
2: well yeah yeah I remember I remember talking to Coco about it and Coco was a guy that just wanted to do ball, hit ball we talked to Matt Olson before the start of the season Matt Olson believes Spending so much time worrying about yeah. video, which is kind of understandable, Ray. When you're locked in your room in a hotel and you're on a road yeah, trip yeah. and you had nothing to do, but I mean, yeah, Matt Olson, who's off to another fantastic season, you know, said that he got too locked into video, and, he, and I, like at some point, you know, you just got to go up there and do your thing. And it's great to see him. I mean, two sixty four is not the best, but if you're hitting two sixty four with a nine fourteen OPS. And you got 14 home runs. I'll take that any day of the
3: week. You know, and he's such a smart hitter, too, Townie. Opposite field. You know, they shift him. And he got one over the shift last night. But uh, he, he goes oppo. I think he did it last night with the home run. Um, did going to the opposite field. So, I mean, you know, he, he's a smart hitter. But it's more of maybe having an idea like the Zamora kid throwing a lot of breaking pitches, lefty on lefty. So, you'd like to know that. But, uh, but in most cases, it's a matter of seeing the ball and, and, you know, if they're shifting you, I don't believe a lot of guys can pitch into the shift, but if they're shifting, let's say Matt Olsen, they're going to throw him pitches that they figure he's going to pull. And otherwise he stays inside the ball and the fastball so well that he'll shoot at the left field with nobody on the left side, except the shortstop star, the third baseman. And with nobody at second, that third baseman's almost at second with the whole left side of the infield open. So you know, with the shifts and all those things that have happened, I think bottom line is that uh, smart hitters are going to take advantage of that. And I think Matt Olson is in that category. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, you you take a two fifty batting average with 30, 35 home runs and 100 ribbies. You know, you take that in a heartbeat because he's producing at the right time. He's producing with runners on base.
2: Well, have a great call tonight, Ray, and I'll talk to you
3: in uh, A's Total Access. County, you're the best. Congratulations, you and Cody, on uh, the three million. I can't wait for the six million. Six million dollar man. We know who you guys are that. But uh, no, congratulations. That's outstanding. Very happy for you.
2: What do you think happens first? Bob Melvin catches Connie Mack, or we get to six million
3: downloads? Uh, you're going to get to six million a heck of a lot sooner. Than <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what'd you figure? Thirty years that he'd have to manage? And well, okay. I don't think. I don't think so.
2: The deficit is two thousand seven hundred eighty-three.
3: Yeah, that, that's like Cal Ripken Jr. playing every game, two thousand six hundred thirty-two. So yeah, and he didn't win every game either. <laughs> the, uh, the Orioles didn't win every game, but he played every game. So, yeah, no, I, I think you you have a much op- a much better opportunity because you know A's cast, A's cast Live is it, such a great great program for people because it is twenty four seven. You can hear interviews and. You know, I, I, I was listening to the Burt Blylovin interview that I did with him, and he, when he said the best part about this was Chris, Chris didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that was a great finale. And I, I can't wait to get to Anaheim to go into Mrs. Autry's suite to look for that picture he talked about that uh, just happened to be a moon over uh, whatever, <laughs> over Gene Autry. So, but no, it, it's nice to hear those interviews, and, and you, you have a lot of nice interviews on. The Ace Cast, Ace Cast life. And and I know Cody does a tremendous job putting everything together. You do the interviews. You're very well prepared. So congratulations to both of you. And I think this is just the beginning of many, many millions. Talk to
2: you in a few. Okay, buddy. The great Ray Fossey here on AceCast. Yes, today we passed three million downloads on uh Ace Cast. And it's just uh, Cody, it's incredible. I mean to think we started from zero, and to think that we're at three million already is—it's mind blowing.
4: It, it truly is, and they just—and the uh, the our main ad, ad athletics account just put the tweet out that you know on March 27, twenty nineteen, that was the very first uh, podcast that we uploaded on. That was even before I joined the organization. You know, I joined in beginning of May of 2019. So
2: you mean we started this before you?
4: Yeah, we, uh, we
2: started getting downloads before you.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm 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 a team guy. I'm not a me guy. So I'm glad <laughs> everything started before me. And you know, the team we have putting this together and we continue to build this from 2019 till now. You know, three million downloads. That's truly remarkable for what we were able to do. We kept this going with no baseball during a pandemic and prior to the pandemic, we had from October till what July of last year what was that? eight months of like literally no baseball being played. And we kept ACE cast alive and all the podcasts and everything. It was just a true testament to all the hard work we did with the, the way Back series, the, sh- the, you know, ACE cast live, the work that we, you and I did with it. It was just uh, a lot of fun. And here's the 6 million and, and counting. So uh, I remember when we hit 1 million, it was pretty remarkable and we did a whole thing on like the guests we've had on and we've had even, you know, even more guests on since then. And, I went back and looked uh last Friday was our was the two year anniversary of Ace Cast Live and I was just looking at the just some of the guests we had on like some of our first show and it was like the first guests we had on that show were like Mark Gubaza who was on the day before like it was on last Thursday and like we had Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and Dave Cavill who have all been on more recently than so like we we just keep building this and we're gonna keep going and you know, we have a full season to go and we're just gonna keep growing. I, I I sent a request over to the to the Rockies. I'm waiting to hear back, but I'm trying to get us Larry Walker, because we're playing the Rockies this weekend. So uh we're always striving for the best possible content for our fans and for everyone listening. So uh three million now, who knows? Maybe next year we're gonna be at four or five, and who knows where we'll be at, but we thank everyone for listening and downloading and supporting us as much as they have been.
2: But I just want to thank you and Joey Libatori, uh for making this happen. Thank you.
4: Well, you're the voice of it. I don't want you think. know uh,
2: without I mean, without you guys,
4: you're the one. What do you mean? You're the one who has to voice everything.
2: I, I, without you guys, I don't know how this would have happened. I mean, just thank you for everything that you do.
4: Well, you're welcome. <laughs> By the way,
2: you're, 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 I, the, you're the you're the Bob Melvin of AceCast.
4: Well, I don't want I don't want to be the Bob Melvin. I mean, if if you want to be technical, I. I guess I, I want to be the Billy Bean.
2: You want to be? You want to be Billy Bean? I
4: want to be Billy Bean, but wow! I got big goals in mind. I want to wow! I want to oversee everything.
2: What are you running a soccer <laughs> team now too?
4: Uh, all right, so you, you want to? Before we get to Casey Stern, I you told me I I, I owe the I, I owe the Angels an apology.
2: Yeah. Okay, so let me let me set this up. So yesterday we found out that Shohei Otani again is not going to be in the game, which is a joke. But I don't know why he needs so many days. The guy's 26 years old. They act like he's 46. Um, and Cody's look. Cody was going to the Giants game because his fiance is a Angels fan. I don't know how he does it. I couldn't do it. But, yes, his fiance is an Angels fan. And he said, looking at the lineup for the Angels, he goes, I can't believe I'm going to this game because this is the worst lineup ever. And I was like, "Wow, it's a little harsh on the uh, on the old Halos." Uh, you use Ligaris.
4: Yeah. Who else did you bring up? Uh, it was Juan like, yeah, Ligaris. It was uh, who else was in that lineup? Um, it, it wasn't a good. It wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't the murderous row Yankees lineup that that you're seeing. It wasn't the '80s A's with the Bass Brothers were not playing. It, no, there was no Otani, no Trot as you mentioned, and. I, and I get there. And I'm look. I'm on Caltrain, and it's like in the third inning. And I'm like, they're in the third inning already. I just got on the train. It's seven o'clock. They're in the third inning already. I'm like, by the time I get there, the game's gonna be over. So, what I'm was the
2: final score of the game?
4: Eight to one. They scored yeah. all. They scored eight runs in the third and fourth inning. By the time I get there, it's the, It's like the bottom of the fourth inning, and I'm like, I. They, they didn't score a run the rest of the game. I saw the Giants score one run.
2: I think you need to apologize to the Angels after you. You basically threw them under the bus.
4: Well, I will say I'm sorry for throwing their offense under the bus, but I will not apologize for saying I will not see good. I would, I will. I was going to see a bad lineup. I didn't see a run scored, and with my own eyes, I did not see a run scored by the Angels. They didn't score a run because they scored all the runs before I got there.
2: I still can't believe the Giants are in first place. All right, uh, do we want to just go straight to it?
4: Yeah, and the the Giants did not look. Good. Alex Wood looked uh, terrible last night, but the Giants cut uh, a couple injuries. Their their team could hit, but yeah, I don't know how they're in first place.
2: He's the host of Inside Pitch on MLB Network Radio. Uh, does he still do NBA?
4: I don't think so. I think he just mainly he just focuses mainly on MLB Network Radio now. Okay, Casey
2: Stern. He, he's a good interview. We we were able to tape it earlier today. And here's one of the top hosts for MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. It's always great to have you on the program. Big fan. Of course, I have XM. Got you in on my car every single day. And I think really the job that you guys do uh, is second to none because th- there's no place like you giving the information that you guys are giving on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I feel like we're all in therapy after going through the amount of months we spent talking about no actual games a year ago. So it's it's fantastic to have baseball to react to. Uh, We wish more players weren't hurt. uh, But in some cases, uh, I use the tennis term, unforced errors by the league and the players bartering over uh, nonsense and not having a universal DH that now a guy like a Jack Flaherty, for example, is uh, down for the count for a while.
2: Isn't it ridiculous when you look at the numbers like the I was reading, it was just a couple of weeks ago, that the the average for pitchers was 100, and they were basically striking out 50% of the time. And it's like, what are we doing here in 2021?
1: Well, we're putting position of uh, pitchers being injured for no reason, which is you know, it's interesting because if you look about kind of the contradiction of it all, remember when Posey and Cousins, Collided, we had to run and then make sure collisions were gone and then at second base. Nope, no more slides. But we're not going to give you any additional roster spots off a shortened season where by the middle of the season, every pitcher will be way past the innings they pitched all of last year, some for years more than that, and we're going to let pitchers hit. But don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, to me, I think at the end of the day, it's on everybody at the upper level of the league for not stepping in and getting both sides to agree. And I know, obviously, Rob Manfred, and we talked about this commissioner, specifically a guy who used to argue on behalf of the owners. We know that it's more of a two-on-one match than somebody even. But whether it's the league or it's the players' union or you think of the owners, for nobody does it make sense to have players getting hurt, and with no minor league season last year, you're now dipping down to get guys who aren't anywhere close to ready to the big leagues, and have to throw them out there. And we're going to get a lot of that in the second half of the year.
2: Well, yeah, I remember last year with the Astros talking to our buddy Jeff Blum, who does TV for him. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you're, you I mean, they, they they got guys coming up who were an A ball last year. Like, yeah, they're looking into the media guy, going, who are these guys?
1: And, and that's what you know. Look, I. Uh, <laughs> God bless him. I love Torrey Lovello, and his Diamondbacks have a ton of injuries. And I'm telling you, he is literally. I wonder if it's like the old like uh, love connection. Or your next uh, third baseman loves long walks on the beach and volleyball and swimming. It is free because they have no idea who these people are. Half of them that they're that they're going and getting, and that's why you know. Look, all of it combined when you look at it. Coming off of how statistically oriented we've been now over the years, and everything's got trends, right? That's how we learn. How did we not know? There's no data off a 60-game year. There's no data off how do you ramp up innings from X to Y when this was the calendar this past year and it's never been that way. How did they not understand that regardless of what you're going to argue over the CBA, in nine months, I mean, the way I put it was, back in, it is going to date myself, but back when you and I were kids, when you sit there and you think about like the 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 Royal Rumble and there's like, you know, the the big Andre, the giant is there. No one can knock him out by himself. Let's both (laughs) knock him over and then we'll fight it out. You've got to knock over all these problems and then duke it out at the CBA after the season. You can't be sitting there worrying about leverage before the year because not expanding the roster size is the craziest thing ever considering how many injuries we're now seeing. It is literally double what we saw at this time last year and I'll give you one stat at no point not one day last season did we ever have a situation or in the last full season the year before as many injuries right now as we have currently today in this sport
2: well you've sparked something here because when i look back whether it was big john stud or yes. it was king Andre the Giant king kong bundy whenever these guys would team up to try and get yeah. them out of the out of the ring. That was weak sauce.
1: Well, yeah, but but at the same time, you also didn't want, you know, it was too easy when the biggest guy in there. It's like the ring. Anybody's been to one of those events, it's like four feet long. <laughs> Nobody's getting them out anyway. But unfortunately, just to kind of tie it all together, right now the Andre, the giant, the elephant in the room, is that the league didn't step in there's this whole idea of we always hear about this best interest of baseball clause, right? And and it's it's like you know we the whole monitor like I'm going to you know give you a you know a citation if you don't you have a pass in the bathroom. They always hold it up like you know here's where we're going to use it. How does the league not jump in and say hey look I'm going to take it away from both of you and say that we're not going to go ahead and have pitchers hit who didn't even hit a year ago when we know in the CBA it's not staying anyway. We're not going to keep the roster size. We're going to expand the playoffs because this is in the best interest of the sport and our players. The fact that nobody got involved to say anything. Think about September when you've got playoff races, fans hopefully knock on wood, full throttle, and all the tickets they want to sell, and you've got people playing that no one's ever heard of. I mean, it's crazy. It's going to happen.
2: Were you guys able to address Bob Melvin breaking the record for most wins as an Oakland A manager and passing the Hall of Famer, Tony LaRussa?
1: You know, well, you said Tony LaRussa, and we addressed plenty of that. <laughs> but that's <laughs> a different story. There will be consequences within the family, don't worry. Um,
3: oh God. look,
1: I always I always I always say this, and I mean it in in the most complimentary way. Bo Melling is like a thing for me because when you talk about it, As an organization, the Rays, right? And look what they're doing, 16 out of 18. If they are even more than, and look, I'm not taking away from Billy or this organization, David, Force, anybody, but the Rays are at the, hey, we maximize like everything. We are going to find a way to squeeze the most out of the orange. There's no manager in this sport in this generation or the one prior that has done that to this level because Joe Madden had some of that in Tampa, but certainly not that problem with the Cubs. What Bob Melvin has been able to do, regardless of the changes of players, and in the room specifically this year, the loss that you and I both know Marcus was, Marcus Simeon, not being in there, the Chapman injury a year ago, they went a division, first time in 14 years, his even keel nature and his balance, which is who he is, is to me still showing everyone what you need in a manager if you really want a long season like baseball to succeed. Because I think it's a big reason that he's as good as he is. Highs and lows, he's the same guy. Every interview, every conversation, every meeting with a player, they don't get down on themselves because he doesn't push them down there. And it allows them in a long year to avoid those lulls that keep teams out of a playoff.
2: Remember when they used to say that Tampa was the little brother to the New York Yankees? I I think that narrative is so tired. Tampa's been whooping these guys now. For a long time. It really, you know, if you talk about a rivalry, I mean, Tampa's owned them.
1: Oh, it's, first of all, yes, absolutely. And you can go back to the fact that last year, not only did they beat them during the year, then take the division, but then Brasso gets back at Chapman, right, and hits the home run to knock them out. I go back to, and, and this is, and I chatted with Austin Meadows of the Rays about this actually today, but they, do not, and I, I hate to say this because the Twins, I don't want to knock somebody when they're down, when I just talked about not doing that, but let's do it. Uh, the Twins, right, who haven't won a playoff series since I think King Kong Bundy was wrestling and Mean Gene was there, may rest. <laughs> they, and teams that have played the Yankees, think about the old yesteryear, the Texas Rangers, right, with, hey, Rick Helling's good. No, he's not. Uh, and then Seattle, no, Aaron Sealy's, no, he's not. And then it's the Twins. And how many teams and organizations have, fumbled and put the Yankees in a spot knew they intimidated them. And you were lost before you got there. Tampa doesn't have the talent. Most of those teams I just discussed did the Mariners broke the record for most wins and then got sent home in a series by the Yankees. Cause they could never beat them. The, the Rays mentality is just the perfect mentality of they don't care. Look, they play in a park where you could hear the guy who makes the cowbell because he's your friend and he's one of seven family members of the 12 people in the room. I mean, there's nobody there. They don't have it. It doesn't matter how many people are in the Coliseum. In Oakland, they go nuts. In Tampa Bay, you could could scream across to your cousin, right? On the other side of the field, there's nothing that's going to affect them. That's why the COVID season, it was like, okay, let's just play. Nobody has fans. Neither do we. But I think that they have taught that to the Yankees. And because of it, what are they going to be afraid of the Yankees for? You just took Blake Snell from us after you took him out of the game, for some ungodly reason, when Mookie Betts couldn't make contact against them, you think we're going to worry about winning in Yankee Stadium? And that's why even if you go back a month ago, the Yankees were on the verge of sweeping the Rays for the first time in years. would have been a big series, and they got crushed in the last game of that series because even when Tampa gets punched by the Yankees in a big spot, gives up some home runs, they, they are like you know, the great closers who have no memory. That's the way Tampa is. They're not going to be affected by it. And I think Kevin Cash is a big part of that. Remember, this is a guy who was a prime disciple. The day he interviewed for this job, he had a phone call beforehand getting further tutelage from his mentor, Terry Francona, a guy who, oh, by the way, came back from down 3-0 in a postseason against the Yankees.
2: All right, more surprised. San Francisco Giants leading the West (sighs) or Cubs leading the Central?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the Cubs, you had me. Trying to figure out the Cubs is trying to figure out, like, the movie 12 Monkeys. Like, I, I really have no idea what's happening, but I'm watching it. So I, I can't, really nothing surprises me with them. We knew that division was weak. I think it's got to be the Giants because this was the year, you know, look, that ownership and they're always willing to go get a you know, quotient of stars there. They almost gave Farhan's 80 a heart attack when they told him, hey, we want to try and get Bryce Harper when Farhan came in to get rid of all that money. Now, it didn't work, thankfully, for Farhan, but think about what he's done turning that thing over. This was their last year of like, Hey, we're almost there. It's like they were running a marathon. It's like, we're one mile. We're almost going to make it to the finish line and, and finally eat food for the first time in a month. They are getting rid of the Crawford contract. Bell. Look, these are great players for them, but we know not anymore. Longoria and that contract, all this, they're not supposed to be in this spot, but they made really smart moves. And to me, they made a lot of small market teams make really just look stupid because Alex Wood, who is the guy who, by the way, pitched well in that World Series game where Snell was taken out, he, $3 million for a year in the division where he's won 15 games before and performed well. Those kind of moves they made have helped them do this. Ustremski hasn't hit the ball that well. I mean, Buster Posey, to me, is the biggest surprise, obviously, of the Giants that he's been, which is great to see, that he's been you know, a, a high-level hitter again for a lot of this year. But I think, you know, you've got to give Dave Kapler a lot of credit, and you've got to give Farhan Zaidi a lot of credit. This guy knows what he's doing, and they are going to have a lot of money to spend this coming offseason and be a major factor in the shortstop market. And I keep putting out there, you know, I live in Atlanta now. Freddie Freeman's still a free agent. The Braves, everything with them is the best, and he's a California kid. And I don't think the Angels can afford more money, even though he's from Orange County, on non-pitchers. Freddie Freeman at first base for the Giants next year and a long-term deal looks pretty good to me.
2: And think about another West Coast guy who's just killing it for the Cubs is Chris Bryant. And the talk, has, right. been, the talk has been they're going to move them. How about Javi Baez? I mean, if you're in first place, you can't move these guys. It's like, what is the direction of the Cubs? Because it's almost they're shocking themselves by
1: winning. I, I, I use it this way. It, every team has a GPS where if they're good, even the Orioles, right? Like, you know – where they're supposed to, that doesn't mean they're going to get there, but they have a direction on how to get there. When you put the GPS in for the Cubs, it, the AOL dial up sound gets made like when you were going into the romance chat room in 1990. I mean, literally, they don't even know where they're going. They got rid of the Darvish money and then didn't go further because they didn't get a lot of value for Chris Bryant, but you're not going to get value for him as a rental Machado, nothing. I mean, rentals don't get you any money. They don't get you any value in players. And really, if anything, you're just saving cash. So I I don't know what they're doing. They have not made a significant offer that that Rizzo has liked. And even last time, seemingly, he had come out and acted like he was lowballed to a great extent. Baez, I don't understand why, if he's their guy that they've chosen, which a lot of people have thought, why isn't he signed? I don't think they feel that way now. And when Lindor gets paid like Tatis, you know, I don't think Baez is going to get paid as much, but I'm certain that he's not got a 10-year offer from the Cubs for $300 million right now. He would have taken it. So I don't know what they're doing. I'm with you. And I think the sad part is for the Cubs fan, clearly Theo left because the organization had changed their mind and decided to go the other way. But they didn't go far enough. You're never going to get players to not try they put a pitching staff out in a league where you can't get anyone to make contact and their staff only gives up contact. No one misses, but their lineup, they didn't destroy enough. I hate saying it. That's the biggest problem. And they're going to regret that severely. I hate to say they're rooting for losses, but if you remember major league up in that booth where they're rooting for losses, I mean, right now, secretly somewhere there's a curtain shut and the Cubs are rooting for losses and they're not getting any right now.
2: Yeah, and I think about also like Trevor's story now on the IL, but once he comes off, a renter player. I mean, what's Colorado thinking? What are you going to get for him? Uh, who knows? All right, let's end on this favorite wrestler
1: of all time. Oh gosh, oh my! There are so many. Uh, you know what? I, I'll go Shawn Michaels probably overall. I, I was a big Attitude Era guy. It was probably the last time I was. I kind of got back into it. A little bit, I like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Back in the day, Hogan and Macho Man. But standing the test of time, and to me, like, proving that even though you knew it was scripted, like, you could watch a movie, you know there's a script, but say, hey, that's a great actor. Like, Joe Michaels, because of the athleticism he had, and being able to speak, because as we know they usually get one or the other. I mean, you guys who, like, you have to have Bobby the Brain Heenan may rest, like, come around with them, because nobody could talk. He, to me, was the best at both of those of anybody I saw. So I, I I don't know how old that dates us back, but Shawn Michaels, to me, would probably be the first guy that comes to mind.
2: I will always go down with my man, Randy Macho Man Savage, who beat, Ooh, King, yeah. Haku, who beat uh, King Haku to become the Macho King. Hey, you are the best, man. Inside Pitch is a fabulous show. I, I love you on XM. You. Uh, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. The reason why I renewed... I mean, also, I love the NFL channel, and I'll listen to PGA Tour, but uh, I, I'm locked on you guys every day. Uh, we, we have Farron. We have the Duke. We have a lot of the guys from the channel on our station. We always appreciate your guys' time, and be
1: well, and you know we're listening. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. That means a lot, and uh, best it, and be well. We'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, I like him a lot.
2: He's solid. And their show, him and Ryan Spielborgs, Spilly, as they like to call him.
4: We'll have to get Spilly on because we we'll play the Rockies on Friday. Maybe I'll we'll have to reach out to Spilly. Is he four.
2: still? Uh... God, that's right. We're playing the Rockies.
4: They stink. Yeah, we we'll, about... well, they got one good player in their lineup. Ryan McMahon's pretty solid. Now that they have no story, uh, Charlie Blackman seems to be. Uh, Are they they playing yet? I don't think they're playing yet tonight. I want to see. By the way, he confirms what I've been talking about. And I
2: think I said this yesterday, you know, because you got certain guys that have been linked to the A's, right? Trevor Story's been linked to the A's. Nelson Cruz has been linked to the A's. We've somehow managed to link Max Scherzer to the A's. and (laughs) I think that just may be us (laughs) and himbo. I haven't seen anybody else. But it just goes to show. Did I say this yesterday or the day before? Where I said front office people in in in, in today's baseball aren't going to give up top prospects for for a rent player anymore.
4: Yeah, uh, they, they, they they just don't do that. It was yesterday on here on our show.
2: And so, I mean, that kind of confirms it. Like he was saying, it's like you're not going to have to give up a whole heck of a lot to get one of these guys.
4: Yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm looking at the the Rockies lineup right now uh McMahon hitting 262 CJ Crohn's hitting 270 Blackman's hitting 250 Josh Fuentes who's who's replacing Arnato sitting 240 Brendan Rogers who just came back from injuries hitting 167. so you're not facing a murderous row lineup on Friday when you go to Colorado but also the A's guys aren't the A's lineup isn't really hitting uh hitting the cover off the ball either but they oh whoa, whoa whoa but they did score 12 runs last night so maybe that's a sign of things to come tony kemp had another outstanding game last night a five rbi game um what he had four hits he had a home run he's starting to hit really well he's playing left field tonight yeah he's hitting
2: 280
4: for god's yeah, sake you gotta keep him in the lineup you gotta keep the hot bat going yeah and it was a good sign to see him. you know, The Matt Olson ends the homerless. What was it? Five straight games without a home run, as David Force tells us all the time. Ball go far, team go far. Well, the A's weren't going. I mean, they won a game or two there without the home run, but then you saw them start to scuffle a little bit without it. But um, Chris Flexen's pitching tonight. He pitched in the KBO <laughs> before he came over back to pitch from the Mariners. So get to him early tonight because you gotta you gotta get you gotta get it going early tonight. Hopefully. Hopefully you can see some Matt Chapman bounce back because it's been a it's been it's it's been a struggle to watch him the last couple last couple games to say the least.
2: And we're looking at a point to where it's not early anymore. That whole it's early card is can't be played. Yeah, you can it's, it's not early anymore. I mean, it's after Memorial Day, and this is this is looking rough.
4: Yeah, and you he's can't... gotta
2: start hitting.
4: Yeah, and you can't look at the you can't use the old take a look at the back of the baseball card. Well, I mean you can't anymore. I mean he he didn't do. I mean he got hurt last year, but I mean the seventy three strikeouts is a bit alarming. I mean he's only three behind Gallo right now going into today. Um, and I mean Gallo strikes out, but he has a lot of power too. Also, as I said earlier, Chapman hasn't hit home runs since May fifth, so it's been a while since he's even hit a home run. So hopefully he can get the bat going. If you're gonna go in the core still, maybe he'll get maybe he'll connect with one in core It in Colorado if he doesn't hit one tonight at T Mobile or if he doesn't get get it going. But he's a he's a important piece in that lineup if they can get it going. I know he's batting six tonight, but just gotta figure out that, that bottom third of the order. I know Tony Kemp's on there kinda of stabilize it, but you gotta figure that part out if you wanna get this offense going. But the twelve runs last night was nice to see because when they had that offensive explosion in the fifth inning, it was it was nice to see. You know, I'm checking the score. I'm watching. I'm looking. I'm like, all right, four two. I'm looking at the scoreboard at the Giants game because that game was boring me after the Angels scored all their runs in two innings. I'm looking and I see that I'm like, well, they've scored all these runs. How they score all these runs? And and you see it was the fifth inning because Bob Melvin gave the team a a great speech in the dugout.
2: Well, Chapman has got to start hitting it. Or I, I don't know what you do. I mean, I know people say his defense is so good, but this is such a mental game that you don't want to get to a point where he's messed up completely, you know, especially mentally. Right. I mean, you want to keep him fr- from getting into that point where you get into such a rut, you know, like last night watching him swing through three straight fastballs, which just like, and we're not talking, they were a hundred miles an hour. They were down the middle, 91 miles an hour. And it's not, it's not like he's fouling him off. He's not hes not even making contact. And that is what's scary. And, you know, you can keep saying you need to get him going, but at some point, you know, when are you going to need to look at the mental side of it? I mean, he's at 198. You take another Oprah now and you're, you're staring 194 in the face. It's scary how players in baseball, and we have seen it with some really good players, just take a dive. I mean, look at what's going on with Francisco Lindor. He literally is the worst free agent to sign a contract of $150 million or more. There's been 31 that have been signed. And he is the worst. I sent it to you yesterday, Cody.
4: Yeah, I put it I put it in buying or selling for today and go, you know, lo and behold, we, we, we mentioned how we mentioned this about him, and of course he has a big game today to raise his batting average at two oh nine. I think he had three or four hits today for the Mets and their seven six thrilling win over the Diamondbacks.
2: But as Hembo reported this front of the program, he the thirty one guys have signed a contract. 150 million or more. He's last in batting average, second to last in RBIs, weighted runs created plus, second to last. War 29th. Who possibly was worse than him in some of these categories? Was it Jason Hayward? Because he was bad to start after that big contract.
4: Uh, yeah. Let's see I'm trying to read. And his war is above only – yeah, his war is only above Albert Pulhos and George Springer. Well, springer was, Springer's was springer been hurt, though. Remember, too, Springer hasn't played because he's been well, hurt. Springer's only played in what, like four games? Yeah, he's been – I mean, he was hurt, and then he came back, and then he missed time again when he's played against – when the, the – uh, the, The Buffalo Jays, don't you dare call them the Florida Jays. The Buffalo Jays now, after they played their first game there yesterday. Back to New York, baby. They won yesterday, too, if I'm not mistaken. Vlad was bashing. It
2: it is the question that needs to be asked.
4: Who's the best team in New York? Well, they're losing today. It's 4-1. They're getting getting, uh, the Marlins beat them today. When it's
2: all said and done in New York, who is the best team? Is it the Yankees? Is it the Mets? Or is
4: it the New York Jays? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with the Mets probably still, but you, you got a compelling case with the baby, the Buffalo Jays if they can if they get Springer back. I mean, let me, how many games has he played? That's actually a good question. He's played four because he came back after that injury. He didn't play in Oakland when the Jays were here. Uh, Springer has played in. Hey, right. Four games. He's had fifteen at bats. And For how much money? One hundred fifty mil. He has a point. He has a zero point one WAR. So, but when he when he does play, he has a one forty one OPS plus. <laughs> he might be the only guy
2: that is happy about going to Buffalo right now, because going back to Toronto, he may the minute he walks out of the dugout, he may be hearing boo birds. I can't imagine if you're a Blue Jay fan. You can't be too thrilled with uh, with paying that guy that money, and and he hasn't played. I mean, that's that that really ticks fan bases off. Should we go to buying or selling? Uh, what about Johnny Gomes? Oh my god, I forgot about jo- Johnny Gomes, the World Series champion, and what a great a wasn't here a long time, but the effect he had on on this team, no question about it. Here is our longtime friend, Johnny Gomes. He is one of our all-time favorites here on A's Cast Live. The World Series champion, Johnny Gomes, is with us. Johnny, how are you down in the Valley of the Sun?
0: I'm right on schedule, buddy. Uh, running around with the kids. Little ball here. Little Little League here. We've got volleyball, basketball, gymnastics. You know how it is.
2: And, and you got another one on the way. I mean, you, you, you got a starting five.
0: I do got a starting five. That is official. It is NBA playoff time. So uh, <laughs> I joined the crew. Three boys, two girls. I mean, with these jeans, why would I stop, right?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're breeding excellence, right? <laughs> he said it. So last night, Bob Melvin passed Tony La Russa. And knowing what you know about A's history growing up an A's fan, and knowing that Bob Melvin is now the all-time winningest manager in Oakland A's history, and I know about your guys' relationship, what, what, what does it mean to you when you hear that?
1: I mean, there,
0: there's a lot behind that, right? I mean, when you're running that many victories on one ball club, that just says so much about the dude, considering that position. You know, it, it's a higher-fire position you know you're in and out i mean we've seen guys win manager of the year and get fired right after so i mean it just says so much about the dude i love the guy um we do got a pretty unique relationship as far as player to manager i think we got a little tighter but um yeah i know he would love to have that ring you know more than anything and seems like he's getting closer and closer every year but we've got to give bob one of those for sure
2: you know, when I think about everything that he's had to deal with, you know, a lot of people go, Oh, look at the success of Tony La Russa, three world series, won a world series. I also go, you got to remember the guy at one point had the highest payroll in baseball. He had three MVPs. He had two Cy Young awards. He had three rookies of the year and was always in the top five in payroll. You know, it's all that has never had just talk about his situation and always having obstacles, but always a, able to overcome them.
0: It's absolutely mind-boggling to tell you, through. I mean, from what you just mentioned, I mean, just compare, by, this was like NASCAR, right? I mean, he's out there in a Ford Focus just winning races. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I was talking about the, the Royals team that we had, and I go, it's just such a well-oiled machine. Like, we had the starting nine every single day just mapped out. You know, Hosmer, Salvi, Mustakis, Like, everyone knew where they were playing. There wasn't a lot of juggling, you know, stuff to do that. But I mean, Bob, I mean, this guy's running six to seven platoons a season. It's unbelievable. It's keep everyone on the same page, keep them all fighting for you, keep everyone happy, control the clubhouse. I mean, it just goes on and on. This guy's unbelievable.
2: You know, I'll never forget when we got back from Japan and you were my first interview on opening day, the actual real opening day. And you said, we're going to the playoffs. And everybody's like, what? What the hell's he talking about? And you think about 2012 and just the change day to day of the amount of people that came in and out of the clubhouse that contributed. The fact that you guys won it on the very last day. It's truly one of the wildest seasons, got to be, of your career.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's still, I, I hold that season so high. From everything that I've accomplished in this game and seen and witnessed, and I mean, I don't know if that could ever happen again. You talk about being in first place for four innings of a 162 game season, uh, and then going all the way to Game Five, where you know that got a little hairy there. Yeah, I mean, it was something I'll never forget. Is when the Detroit Tigers tipped their hats to us after they clinched. Like what? Like they they realized that they just witnessed like a, a, a movie. I mean. It was uh, it was unbelievable. The roster flip. There's probably about five full-blown line changes in our roster throughout the season. Uh, going down the stretch with five rookie starters, um, man, magical year. And it just shows too, how important you know winning the whole thing is. Because if you don't win the whole thing, the season almost gets you know erased. But man, that season was something else. I'll never forget that's for sure.
2: Yeah, you start the season in Japan, and your opening starters are Brandon McCarthy and Bartolo Colon, and by you get to the postseason, it's now Jared Parker and Tommy Malone. I mean, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. They made me jump on a flight for 15 hours to face King Felix, and then fly, fly back 15 hours and face him again. Um, yeah, tough way to start your season, but, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the Brandon Inges, you know, and then all those young A's that really, you know, made a name for themselves the following season. Uh, Josh Donaldson was born, you know. People forget about a Grant Balfour and Travis Blackley, the Aussies. It was, uh, man, it was awesome.
2: And the fact that you were the leader of the bunch, there was no question about it. So many guys looked to you as the guy that was the veteran that's been there and done that. What was it like being a leader of that group and it's sometimes having to corral that group.
0: I mean, would it be known? I mean, it was like herding cats at times. But um, you know, finding, you know, what you gotta do in the beginning is just really find, you know, what the heartbeat of the team and what makes them uh tick. And with that being said, you know, no one was going to arbitration. There wasn't too many free agents, so it wasn't like money generated. Like everyone just wanted to have fun. And you know Bob Melvin just would us be you know who we needed to be. Uh, I mean, just on and on. There's so much action.
2: You know, when I think about a manager being great, there's no question. It's about communication. Talk about the communication that Bob has with his players on a day to day basis, and you know that he actually cares about you as people.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of things you can describe about Bob Melvin. But, um, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me is that you were never ambushed. Nothing ever happened that was unexpected. And would it be known, that is extremely rare in our game. Doors always open, no surprises. Um, and Yeah, the communication was, you know, it, it, it was beautiful. And playing for managers, you know, there's not too many, actually, where you literally learn more stuff than just baseball from the guy. And, I mean, just a stand-up gentleman, so smart, the way he treated us, the way he treated the fans, the way he treated his co-workers and staff. He's a blueprint of a good man.
2: I remember when you came back, and I asked Bob, I said, if there's anybody on this ball club do you see as manager material, he said you. Have you thought about actually thinking? I mean, have you thought about trying to be a manager someday in the big leagues?
0: Um. So... It's funny that like a lot of these guys are kind of handed that job, um, which you know is what it is. But what I want to do is I want to go back to step one and and really put the time in and learn you know everything I could. So that's what I've been doing is I've been player development for Arizona Diamondbacks, learning the farm system, learning how the whole thing works. And um, if the time comes, the time comes. But I just definitely want to pack my resume as much as possible before. I uh, threw my name in the hat.
2: You know, how how great is it that these kids are back playing? Because it just broke my heart uh, seeing all these minor league guys, you know, their dream taken away from them and not given that opportunity to play because of COVID-19. I'm just so happy so many are back. And, and I feel bad for the ones that their careers over.
4: Yeah, there's
0: been, that, that totally sucked. I'll tell you what, you know, really bothered me was you know, there's a lot of kids that uh, fortunately got a chance to play in the big leagues last year when under nor- normal circumstances they probably might not have made it. But they didn't make it, and playing in the big leagues was awesome, and their family wasn't able to go and attend. Uh, I could not even imagine. I could just picture my mom ripping through the gates, getting in to try and watch me play. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm
2: super glad it's over, and I'm glad I
0: wasn't part of it as a player. That would have been nuts.
2: So when, when you, when you go and I mean, I know you haven't been around the players for a while, but how, how different are, are the players now from when you first broke in with the race? Uh,
0: yeah, man. I mean, it's a lot different. Um, it, it is a lot different. And I think it has to do with how they're groomed, you know, with uh, all this travel ball and stuff, um, you know, there's the little things that, I think are lost in translation of playing so many games when you're just trying to go four for four versus trying to win the game. So with that being said, you know, I mean, it's crazy in the minor leagues, it's just like a dying breed when you talk about a gamer. Like, oh it's got the gamer. You don't say that as much as you used to anymore. But tell you what, man, they're really good, really fast. I mean it's not common to be twenty years old in the big league sitting right in the middle of the lineup or being an ace.
2: Kids are good. Yeah. Hey, Johnny, we missed you. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, congrats on everything and, and the family and the new baby coming. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon.
0: You got it, buddy. Keep me on the loop.
2: The great Johnny Gomes. That's my guy. I've always liked that guy. He's special, man. He's a winner, and he's a leader. There is no Question about it. How much time we got left?
4: Uh, about like twelve minutes. Oh, yeah. Well,
2: that's right, because Seattle's a seven ten start. Yeah, I'm so used to six forty starts that I'm like, are we over?
4: Yeah, I. The seven ten starts are different because then we actually have like a full like, well, not full, but almost like a two. We have about a two hour show, which we haven't done in forever. <laughs> Because the show, the shows are only about an hour and a half, so it's it's different being on for about two hours. Where because we're so used to doing you know three hours, now we're doing an hour and a half because of all these early start times. Which don't get me wrong, I think we like the six forty start times because uh, the games. Well, we thought they'd end earlier, but they're still taking three hours long. So,
2: oh yeah, it's a, it's going to be three hours. It, it that 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 is that that's the norm. I mean that's the bottom line. I mean it's not you're not getting two hours and twenty minutes. I mean that's not not with this club, not not in the American League West, which by the way the A's, I mean, they're eleven and nine against the East, holding their own. They've dominated the Central at nine and one, but they're just terrible in division. I don't care about the early start. They're still nine. They're still nine. And 13 in division, that's brutal. And interleague play, they're three and two, which they'll start up again. Can't wait to watch our pitchers hit. Oh man, Cole Irvin in the box, boy, I'd pay a lot of money for that.
4: Well Apparently, according to Matt Kalahara of the of the Chronicle, he apparently put one into the seats in batting practice during uh during safe. I almost said Safeco, T-Mobile. So I don't know. Maybe he's gonna plant one at uh at Coors. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say no. I remember when we were talking about the um, uh, the prop bets that they were doing on MLB Network yesterday? Uh, we both hit on the uh, over five and a half strikeouts for uh, uh, Chris Bassett. So there's that. Even though he didn't pitch very long in the game, um, he did get the five and a half strikeouts. But Hazel's Lazardo I think he found himself a role as the middle as the uh, bulk guy in the uh, in the bullpen. I think uh, I think he's covering a little niche there for himself i don't know what what say you as uh jesus lizardo as the bulk guy and the aj puck role that i thought was going to be perfect for aj puck
2: what say you mad dog chris russo yeah (laughs) uh i think he looks fabulous It, it it is a role that for a young kid where you're just saying "Hey Zeus, give me two maybe three challenge everybody You know, when you pitch every five days, there's the mind games. There's the preparation. There's all this stuff that you can do. You know, you're going to have your side session. You're going to have the days you run more. There's going to be the days you play long toss, days that you work out with weights. In between starts, there's a lot that goes on for a starter. But for a reliever, it's... The mind game's not there. It's, hey, we could be calling on you. You know, probably like today, obviously, he's not going to be available. But you you come to the ballpark knowing that you can pitch. And you take all those starter mind games out. And when the bullpen phone rings, it's time for you to get up, get loose, get hot. and you you got to be ready to come in. And there could be a fire going on. He looks more comfortable in this role than he does as a starter. I agree. And I'm wondering, and David Force backed this up, the general manager when we had him on, where we talked about how this role is becoming, you know, look at what Suarez did against the A's with the Angels. He kept a minute and the Angels won after a quick hook of, uh, was it Dylan Bundy got the quick hook? Yes. So here you know, hey Zeus, this is a weapon. And remember, when we get to the postseason, guys don't go deep. There's a lot of quick hooks, and you need someone that can come in and be dominant and give you two, three innings. Because the great thing about the postseason for pitchers like a guy like Jesus Lizardo, there's always off days. You don't play seven straight. You have off days. So I think that is key. He just looks—he looks very, very comfortable in this role.
4: Yeah, and I got a stat for you. This is from uh Felady David Feldman. He had this on Twitter last night. The last A's reliever to have six plus strikeouts and three innings of uh three innings or less of work. Do you know who it was? I'll give you I'll give you the date. May fifth, two thousand one versus the Boston Red Sox. Wait, what is it again? The last A's reliever to have six or more strikeouts and three innings or less. It was on May fifth, two thousand one. Because Lozardo had six strikeouts in three innings. I'm
2: trying to think, two thousand one,
4: Billy Taylor. No, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you another clue. He's a big, uh, he's a big Moneyball guy.
2: Oh, uh, if
4: it wasn't for him, Moneyball, the A's would have never won twenty in a row. The uh, side armor. That'd be uh, Chad Bradford. He struck out yeah. six and two and two-thirds against the Boston Red Sox. If it wasn't for Chad Bradford, the A's bullpen would have never have done what they did in the 20-game winning streak. Forget Billy Koch being as good as he was that year. The A's bullpen would have been nothing without Chad Bradford. Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> they did not win because of Miguel Tejada. Let's just put
2: that out. You know, Miguel Tejada was the MVP. That's not why they won. I read Moneyball. It's Scott Hatterberg.
4: I, I was talking to members of Dina's family when I was in L.A. over the weekend. And they are asking me about, like, you know, the A's, and uh, the, the, They were t- someone brought up Moneyball, the movie. And they are asking me about it, and I was like, read the book. Or just, you know, just do some research on the 2002 team. Um, they didn't win just because of Scott Hatterberg. They had the 2002 AL MVP. They had the 2002 AL Cy Young Award winner. Uh, they had a pretty good team around them. They had two other pitchers on their starting rotation that were also really good. And they also had a really good bullpen besides Chad Bradford. Uh, Their closer appeared in 84 games that year. Uh, They had a lot of guys around them that were good besides Scott Hatterberg and David Justice.
2: Old man Justice? Yeah, I heard George Steinbrenner's willing to eat half his
4: salary. Nah, Great, he's He's cheap. Sounds like an Oakland A already. (laughs) Where, where, Where are you going with this, Billy? Nah, Yankees are paying half your salary. (laughs) <laughs> to play against him, uh, I I I have that that saved somewhere, but I forgot, I think I forgot to drop it into our our folder of Moneyball drops. But that's still one of the greatest one of the greatest um mic drop moments in a movie is when he says that to him. But um, yeah, it, just going back to look at that, like, because people, I think I think the one of the best parts of that too is like I think Dina had to explain to one of her friends that the movie really happened because she like someone was like. She said to someone, she's like, yeah, really, it's really unfortunate what happens at the end of the movie when they don't win. And, and one of her friends was like, wait, what? They, they don't win the World Series? And her being an angel fan, her friends was like, yeah, you're, you're friends with an angel's What? You, they won the World Series that year. And she's like, oh, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, Did so, she not see the movie? Uh, apparently not. So I guess, I don't know. It's a weird thing. But I explained that money how Moneyball worked to people over the weekend. So that was fun. I said, read the book. Or just do general research on the 2002 Oakland Ace. His girlfriend's a
2: six. What does that mean? He's got no confidence.
4: I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Whoops, wrong one. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence.
3: He throws the club head at the ball, and when he connects, it, he drives it it pops off the bat you can hear it all
4: over the ballpark uh,
2: these, creep, these creepy old men checking out
4: high school kids girlfriends. the, the but i still think my favorite scene for that movie it's it uh, from that scouting scene is, is when billy just says can he hit then he goes if he's a good hitter why, why doesn't he hit good <laughs> if you give if you give him 400 majorly bats he's gonna he's gonna hit i mean we're dealing with that right now right yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I I just can't believe when you go if you give this guy 400 at bats, he's gonna hit. If you get, if you're getting him that many at bats in the minor leagues, he's not hitting. What well, makes he's gonna hit major league pitching, especially in today's era? We got guys in the majors that can't hit major league pitching. You think a guy in the minors is gonna be able to do it? I mean, maybe, but it, the weirder things have happened. But
2: I, you know, it's scary. You know what? We have seen players. You know the old adage and. I don't know when we're going to do top ten worst baseball cliches. I think
4: next week is a perfect day because that'll be two weeks since the last one.
2: But one
4: of them is hey, you got to check the back of the baseball
2: card. I mean, how many people are doing baseball cards anyway these days? Actually, uh,
4: they're actually pretty popular right now. <laughs> are they really? Yeah, the value of baseball cards have gone up. Really? Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what the value why they've gone up, but baseball cards and like and. Uh, Pokemon cards and all this stuff, like the value of them have gone up a lot. Like, I need to go back home to my parents' house and, and get mine and bring them out here so I can see what they're worth still because I have a lot of valuable ones. Forget Bitcoin. You're saying it's, 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 well, Bitcoin's still pretty valuable and Dogecoin and all that stuff. The stuff that I don't have any, any idea about that, you know, people are getting into, but, um, you're getting back into
2: baseball cards. Yeah,
4: i got to go get my e rookie card because, you know, I, w- I know that's worth money. You, real quick, because uh, we mentioned Tony La Russa and everything with Bob Melvin passing him. Do you have any idea what your mean Mercedes is hitting since Tony called him a uh, clueless and uh, the whole uh, 3-0 thing? Do you know what he's hitting since then? I don't think it's very good. He's 8 for 52. That's a 150. Th- now, my California uh, California University of Pennsylvania education math isn't very good. But uh, that's a 153 batting average uh, yeah, since yeah, Tony caught his own places, player. Tony. you called out your best.
2: You called out a player that was looking like he was going to run away with the Rookie of the Year, and he was absolutely on fire. You embarrass him. You scold him. You basically call him unprofessional, and 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 now he can't hit. I mean, I still today, what Tony Larusa did if this kid continues to go into that well he's not a kid but he's like 28 28 yeah I mean this guy is an incredible story of all these years in the minor leagues finally gets his shot he's having a great year to start and Tony LaRussa pulls that and now the kid goes into the tank I mean Tony should be ashamed of himself yeah and and he's a friend of the program but uh what he did to that kid I got to, I got to stop saying that what he did to this player is, I mean, your manager doesn't have your back. Yeah. Well, I mean, well. how long do you, th- now they're winning and they're in first place. Just, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what the vibe is. We're not in Chicago. We don't know. It's just, um, it's bad. It's bad news. And I feel, and, and, Tony handled it completely wrong. We got to go? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to A's Cast. And thank you for 3 million total downloads. This is the number one podcast in Major League Baseball. A's Cast Live is just a small percentage of everything we do on A's Cast. We started with zero. We're at 3 million. And we can't thank you enough.
4: What are we playing next? Uh, we're going to do community spotlight with Vince Catronio before Ace Total Access. Thank you, everybody.
3: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.